All right, John, chapter 7. I think so. I'll let you know, like, on this page. All right. I'm going to start reading in verse, oh, I don't know, 31. John 7, verse 31. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. So we see that the crowd is beginning to talk about Jesus. They're like, no, we, th- nobody, nobody's going to do more than this guy is going to do. So let's put our faith in him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests, they, get, they, they hear this whispering going on. And they, they have combined forces to try and arrest Jesus. Now, this would be a very um, a powerful bunch of people that have come together. There's only really one chief priest at a time, but if you've ever served as chief priest, you can retain that title, but you're not actively serving. So these people come together, and they decide to send the guards to get Jesus. Now, what's interesting for me is, remember last week we talked about that they tried to seize him, and no one laid a hand on him. And, and, and for me, I'm just like, well, why? I know that God caused no one laying a hand on him. But what happened? Was it something very supernatural? Or did Jesus just kind of walk away and change location? Well, if he did walk away and he did change his location, he did not go far because they're going to try to arrest him. Now, this is not where they're going to march in, grab him by the arm and take him away. Remember, the people are, are starting to like Jesus. The people are liking what he's doing. The people are liking what he's saying. And the, and the chief priests and the Pharisees, they don't want to start a riot. And so they're probably looking for the right time to arrest him. Verse 33, Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Jesus, he's referring to, to, to these threats on his life. He's actually speaking to the people, and he's saying, there is going to be a time where you're all not going to find me. I am not going to be here. And, 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 and I love his attitude. There, there is, there, there is, there is a, a plot to arrest him and to kill him. And Jesus is kind of really unconcerned about the whole thing. He just says, listen, there's going to be a time when I'm not even going to be here. And he's talking to the people that are actually going to kill him and take his life. But Jesus knows he knows that his destiny is not in the hands of the Pharisees. Jesus knows that his destiny is not in the hands of the, of the chief priests. His destiny is in the hands of God. God is always in control. Now, I know that for us followers of Jesus, we, we understand that intellectually. We get that. We know that God is in control. But when we have to come right down and live it every day, sometimes it's really hard to understand. And I would even argue sometimes it's really uncomfortable that, that God is in control. Yes, when you're walking on top of the mountaintop and things are going well and the promotion comes at the job and the kids are behaving and everything is just roses, yes, God is in control. And we love to throw out those terms. God is so good. But, but what about in those times where it seems to just all fall apart, where you lose the job, 
where the kids are just out of control, where it's that thing breaks in the house, and, and life is just really, really hard. Someone gets sick. Something bad happens to someone that we love. And I know that we still continue to say, well, God is good, but, but do we really believe it? I mean, is it really, are we just regurgitating something intellectual? Well, God is good. We know God is good. But are you really feeling the goodness of God? Many times during those situations, we'll use things like, I'm under a spiritual attack. Or the enemy, the enemy has got a hold of me. And, and I would say, yes, there is the possibility that the enemy is influencing the situation. But I'm here to tell you that no matter what, God is in control. It doesn't matter whether it be good or bad. Whatever is happening in your life, God is in control. And you see, that's the hard idea to embrace because those difficult situations in our life, those hard things that have taken place, he could have stopped them. He didn't. And I don't know why. This is what I do know. He's in control. He knows us. He knows what we're doing. Turn to Psalm 139. It's in the middle of the Bible somewhere. A little more to the left. A little more. All right. I'm going to start reading Psalm 139 and verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you completely know it. Before you even say the thing that you're going to say, God knows it. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I ri rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light be become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is in control. God knows everything that has happened, is happening, and will be happening. And that is both a really scary thought, and that is a really a comforting thought. And Jesus is comforted in knowing that it doesn't matter what these guys are telling him. It doesn't matter who they're trying to send. It doesn't matter if they're trying to seize him. God is in control. Verse 34, he says, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Where Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks 
and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Now, Jesus is referring to his death here, the time when, when these people will finally get a hold of him, will seize him, not in their time, but in God's time, and he will be no longer with them. And what's interesting is, um, ultimately, that, that, that Jesus will not be destroyed, but the people who capture him and kill him are actually destroying themselves. And, and his words have got this group a little bit freaked out. They, they, they don't know how to take it. What, where, does, where does he think he's going that we're not going to be able to, to find him? And he says, is he going to teach to the Greeks? Now, no Jewish person or Jewish Messiah would go teach to the Greeks. They just don't roll that way. But these people, they just don't understand what he's talking about. These are, these are the leaders. These are the head honchos of the faith of the culture, of society. And where does this, this mere peasant think that he's going to run, that we are not going to be able to find him? And what's interesting is they repeat his words verbatim, something that doesn't happen very much in the Gospels, in the Gospel accounts. This, this idea that they must be thinking is, is there something we're missing here? Is he, is he mocking us in some way and we don't understand? It's almost like they have a, they, they have a deeper sense of, of there's something more, because, but they can't figure it out. And these guys, they are deep, deep thinkers, but they just can't figure out what Jesus is talking about. His words almost haunt them. And I would say even taunt them a little bit. And then Jesus will say this, on the last day and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, but, you know, we, we have to stop right here. We have, we have to kind of talk about a little bit what this, what's going on culturally at this festival. The last day of the festival of tabernacles is a big deal. It's called Rosh Hashanah Haba, uh, Rabbah. I don't know what that means. But anyways, it's, it's, it means great salvation. It's, it's the big deal. It's the end of the, it's the end of the divine judgment time from Rosh Hashanah. So, so they're kind of, they're kind of ending this whole Rosh Hashanah time of, of, of repentance. And, and it's come to this point at the end of the festival. This is the greatest day. And this, and this whole festival is really a big deal for the Jewish people. They have traveled from far, far away places to come and take part of it. Remember, they, they build these little booths or these little huts and you can, they do it so you can, see, you can see the sky through the roof and it's to commemorate that their ancestors wandered in the wilderness and they were homeless. And they live in those, those little huts for seven days and that's where they cook and that's where they eat. And then this, during this festival, they would, they would take these sticks from like willow trees and myrtle trees and they would tie them together. And they would use them, they would use them as part of their celebration. And it comes from Leviticus 23, where it talks about how to bring these different types of branches together. Now, the Sadducees said that, well, no, the, the Leviticus is about what they're supposed to build the booth out of. And the Pharisees said, no, we're supposed to make these sticks into this thing to use to celebrate. Now, the Pharisees won out. So there's these two different interpretations of what to do. And the Pharisee says, this is what we're supposed to do. And the people go, well, we like that one better. Now, I'm so glad 
that in modern day Christianity that we never have any disagreements over the interpretation of biblical text. And so I just don't know what these guys are talking about or what they're doing, but this is kind of, this is what I've learned in my research this week. And so they have these, these branches and certain psalms are read. And these people, it's a celebration and they cheer and they wave these, these branches all tied together in the air. I think it's like the prelude to the first big foam finger thing that we see at, at sporting events, right? And, and so they're, they're joyous and they wave them and, and they're reading the Psalms and there's music playing and there's, there's flutes playing and, and people are just very, very excited. And then they take willow branches and they come to the altar and they take these branches and they, and they line them up all around the altar and they bend them inward and they tie them to kind of make a canopy over the altar and they recite these words oh lord save us oh lord grant us success and it comes from psalm 118 and it's traditionally used as a prayer for rain as a prayer for water remember every day during this festival the priest would walk to the pool and he would dip the, the bowl, the, 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 um, the pitcher into the pool, and there would just be this loud procession walking back to the altar, and they would take that pitcher of water, and they would pour it into another bowl that had a funnel, and they would be singing and reciting the psalms, and people would just be joyous and dancing around. And it's to represent or to remember that, that God gives water, that, that rain is a gift of God, and they use it to, to say thank you and remember in remembrance that, that God has given them this. And they also take this time to pray that God would continue to give them rain, continue to give them water, that their crops would be successful in the coming year. And they would be reciting Isaiah, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in the Mishnah, the rabbis write this, he that has never seen the joy of the water drawing has never in his life seen joy. This is, this is a really big occasion. One rabbi writes this, one ancient rabbi. For all the days of the water drawing, our eyes saw no sleep. For the nights of the festival were devoted to singing and dancing and merrymaking in preparation to draw water with joy. Do, do you see that this, is, this, this whole thing with water is one of the foundations of what they're celebrating during this festival? And, and every day they would do this. And every day there would be dancing and partying. Not like we party. I mean, these people got down and partied. They set up their little shacks. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people to celebrate the significance of water. They'd be joyous for just something that we take for granted. And this is the backdrop of what Jesus, of where Jesus is about to teach. This is the backdrop of what's going on. He will be taking the gift of water and all of its meaning and all of its depth, and he uses it to teach about the living water that he will ultimately bring. On the last day, on the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Again, he cries out in a loud voice. He yells. He wants people to hear him. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And, and the scriptures say that he stood. 
A, a teacher would not stand to teach in the temple. They would be sitting down and his disciples would have been around him. And he would be sitting down for a purpose to draw attention to himself, to draw attention to his words. But it says, Jesus stood and in a loud voice, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink and understand that water for us, is just a, a fundamental need that we all have. Everyone, every human needs to have water. We cannot live without it. And Jesus will supply what the world cannot give. We need to take a moment because what Jesus is pointing at here, the implication is that for the soul who is thirsty or the spirit who is thirsty is in need of something basic, something fundamental that needs to be fulfilled. And what do we need at our very basic level? What do we need at a very foundational level deep in our soul? You know what? We, we need to be accepted, to feel accepted. We need to feel valued. We need to feel loved. We need to know that our lives have purpose, that our lives have meaning. These are just core things that, that we as humans, as individuals, really need to have in our life. And too often we look in the wrong places for those things. We look to relationships and other people for our love, to be accepted, to be valued. We look to our jobs to, to, that they would give us purpose, that they would give us meaning. Those Things, the things of this world will never fulfill the deepest longing of our soul. It's always going to leave us wanting more. We will always be disappointed by people because, peop because we will always be disappointing people. Our jobs, the things that we have, they can be here one minute and gone the next. They do not give us purpose. They do not give us meaning. Um, yesterday, because it was a rainy day, Ethan wanted to watch uh, This Is It, the Michael Jackson thing. Now, I'm not a fan of Michael Jackson, but I do recognize his talent, and he was the king of pop, if you kind of like that music. But anyway, um, so, so I was watching a little bit here and there, and, and what I thought was, how sad. This guy, everything. He was like the modern-day Solomon. He had, he had everything, tremendous talent, more money than we can ever even imagine. He, 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 had, he had the world in his hands at one point. And he couldn't even find the peace to be able to fall asleep at night. And he had to take a medication that you would use for somebody that's going to have surgery. The things of this world will not fulfill us. Solomon writes, it's all meaningless. He had more money than anybody could imagine. Nothing fulfilled him. And Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Because in him, in Christ, the deepest longings of our soul would be filled. The search for meaning, the search for acceptance and purpose and love and value are realized perfectly in who Jesus is. And he's inviting, he's inviting us to come and drink. If you're looking to be accepted, come to Jesus. If you're looking to be loved, Jesus is our answer. 
if you're looking for purpose and meaning, if you want to understand how you are valued. We just read in Psalm 139 that we are wonderfully made, every one of us. God does not make junk. Contrary to what the world may say, the world may teach, the pictures that it shows, no one, no one is junk or garbage in the eyes of God. We are fearfully, like an awe, and wonderfully made. As the water plays a very significant part in this festival, how they held it in reverence as a gift from God, Jesus is answering their prayer in a way that they would never have expected. On the last day, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Very interesting point that we have to understand that in John's gospel and the way he writes that to drink from Jesus is, is to believe in him. To, to come to a place of, of drinking the water that he is giving is the action of believing in who he is. So those who have already drank, those who have already received, should no longer be thirsty. It's for those who have yet to put their faith in him, for those who have yet to believe in who he is. Those are the people that should be thirsty. Those are the people that are lacking something at their very foundation, a foundational level of their soul. For those who believe, for those who have put their faith in him, the active agent of belief has allowed the Spirit to dwell within them. Now here it says that the Spirit hadn't been given yet because it has not been Pentecost and sin has to be deal, dealt with before the Spirit will come and indwell. But we're a few years out from the Pentecost. And we, those who have put their faith in Christ, we now have the Spirit. And that Spirit should be flowing from within to without. Just as living water, rivers of living water will flow from them. There's two kinds of water in the first century. There's cistern water. That's nasty runoff water. You would never drink that. And then there's living water. There's well water. It's fresh water. You can drink it. Water gives life. And just as living water, the good water would give life, Jesus says the Spirit gives life. And those who have drank and have the Spirit, it should flow from them, giving life. Remember, remember Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody, can, can, you, can you recite those? I haven't written down, so I'll know if you're right or not. You could sing the song if you have to. Wait, 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 we're over here. I, I, I'm sorry, I'll have to do that again. Okay. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit indwelling in us. Has anyone ever said to you or recognized those things in you? Like beyond what's normal, like, like, like how, 
how did you deal with that person? I would have poked him right in the eye. Or, or how can you be kind to them? How can you stay so calm when your world is falling apart? Where do you find this peace? Has anyone ever noticed those things in you? Or do you just kind of live your life or look like you're living your life like everybody else who may not be walking with Jesus? In Galatians 5, it also says that we are not to use our, our freedom to live according to our sinful nature. And I know that, you know, sinful nature, we like to always put behavior as our sinful nature. Well, you know, I can have a beer. Pastor said I should be in the pub at Len, but I can't get, I can't get drunk because that's sinful. Or, you know, he said, go to the casino, but if I bet the whole mortgage and lose, then I'm in trouble. And I can't watch rated R movies unless they star Jesus. And that's okay. But so, so we always put behavior and we tack that onto our sinful nature, but it runs much, much deeper than that. I would say that our sinful nature is not having love and joy, peace and patience, the way that the Spirit has given it to us. For many of us, we live our life like we don't possess the Spirit at all. And when things go terribly wrong or things go really hard, we, we worry and we strive we suffer anxiety. We jump all over people. Road rage knows no faith, right? And, and, and our lives don't reflect what the Spirit has given us. I think sometimes it's like we're saying, God, I know you created everything. I'll give you kudos. Well done. And, and I know the whole Jesus thing, that was really cool too, you know, popped out of the grave. Awesome. We sing that corny song, everything. From the, I'm sorry. And so um, I'm so proud of that. Like, nobody knows that song, huh? I meant that great song we sing on Easter, Up From the Grave. <laughs> and this is Jeff Carter, our Bible teacher uh, for the Gospel of John. So you can tell what kind of small group you're going to have, all right? BYOB, and that's not Bible at the end, all right? I, I don't even know where I am now, man. That just, just messed me up. <laughs> Wait, I'm really lost. <laughs> Road rage, uh, yada, yada, like gentleness. I don't even know how we got there. So, But anyway, so... <laughs> But, but we live our lives like we don't have the spirit at all. Like, like, like we, we have no joy, we have no love, we have no peace. We suffer anxiety. And, and, and so, and so what, what, what is it? What, what, what's happening to us? Is, is the sinful nature based in not just behavior and morality? Is our sinful nature that we trust in us? Have we become our own idol? Instead of looking to God, listen, we all need wisdom to make good decisions. I get that. We all need to have discernment on how to deal with people and how to deal with relationships. But we're called to be gentle. We're called to be joyful. We're called to be kind. And are we relying on our own self 
to muster those things up and try to, try to live them. God wants to change us, but he doesn't want to just tweak us a little bit. He wants a radical transformation. He wants his people to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and to walk in this world in strength and courage and the anointing that we have been given. But what happens and you know, you, know what, you know what worries me? Many, many people, they seem like they're not even bothered by the fact that their lives do not reflect the spirit that lives within them. Listen, I'm not talking about behavior. He's a good boy. She's not a good girl. I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about what's on the inside. God doesn't just want us to get by. God just doesn't want you to survive and hang on today. Though I know that sometimes, sometimes that's all we got. I get it. I've been there. There are days where you're just living minute by minute, praying, God, get me through this next minute. Get me through this next minute. I understand that there are times in our lives where things are falling apart and you are just hanging on by one hand on the cliff. But that is not the way God wants you to live. That's not his plan. God wants his people, us, to walk in the supernatural. And I know that sounds freaky and I'm not gonna levitate, I promise. But God wants his church to see miracles. And God wants his church to walk supernaturally in love and joy and peace and patience and all of the rest of those things. Because he has given them to us as a gift. We have drank the living water that Jesus has offered. And that living water should be flowing from us, from the very inside of our hearts, that we should be just giving it away. I'm not one that's big on seven easy steps or five easy steps. But I'm going to share something with you, something that I've been finding more and more in my life. You want to tap into the supernatural. You want to tap into supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm sorry, that's the song. You start with prayer. It's, it's as simple as that. You start with prayer. And you pray. And then you rest. Trusting that God is going to do what God is going to do in your life. Uh, James, in the book of James, chapter 5, he talks about Elijah. And it says that Elijah was one of us. He was, an, he was an average Joe. He had our nature, our human nature. And Elijah prayed fervently. And it didn't rain. And then he prayed some more. And it did rain. And then there's one really cool story where he, he called down fire from heaven. And it was a real simple prayer. Hey, God, why don't you bring glory to yourself? Burn this stuff up. And God did it. That he killed like 900 people, but that's okay. But he still, he still prayed and, and called down fire. And Moses and David and Abraham and all the people in the Bible, Gideon, they, they prayed and they walked in the supernatural power that God gave them. They were the same as us. They have the same sinful nature that we had. They were not perfect. They were human. And the difference 
from what they had and what we have today is we have given, been given the Spirit 24-7. Jesus has been glorified. We'll celebrate that in a few weeks through his death and resurrection. And we now possess the Spirit. We can't get any more of it. God has given it to us perfectly, 24-7. It never goes away. And he calls his church to walk in it. And so during these these last few weeks weeks of, of Lent, I want to encourage you to begin or continue the process of looking deep into your own heart. Do you possess love no matter what? Do you possess peace no matter what? Or kindness no matter what that person has said to you or how they've treated you? Are you, are you gentle when you shouldn't be gentle? Are people looking at you like you're not normal, but in a good way? Or do they just see nothing different in the way that you live your life? Are you patient beyond what you should be patient with? Sitting there, biting your tongue through clenched teeth, going, I will be patient, I will be patient, I will be patient, is not going to work. Believe me, I know. Huh, Meg? <laughs> It doesn't work. If you have not experienced God in ways that you cannot deny, then I would argue that you are not living dependent on who God is. Are you your own idol? And by making yourself ultimate, you fail to walk in the spirit that God has given you. It's when we begin to move in harmony with the things of God. When we begin to move in harmony with the spirit that's living in us, that life will flow from us. Things like love and joy and peace and those things, they, they, they're life. To love, to love is life. To have joy brings life. To have peace brings life. To have patience brings life. And if we can get a hold of those things in our own life and walk in them in the supernatural that God has called us to, they will flow from us. And in turn, they will give life to other people. Whoever believes in Jesus, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from them. So for us, let's, let's be a people who not only possess life, let's be a people that life actually flows from. God, I want to thank you that uh, you've given us the spirit. And it's not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit of boldness. It's a spirit of power. And I want to claim your spirit on everyone here today that you would, um, that, that, that we would understand the power that is, that is right at our fingertips, the power of love, the power of joy and peace and patience, the power of faithfulness and gentleness and kindness. And God, I pray that we would better understand those things in our own life and in our own heart and that we would give life to everyone around us. God, we need your help. We're broken. We lose track. We lose focus. Life kicks us and punches us. But God, it's our desire to know you and to walk in that 
power, that we would walk in the Spirit. Amen.